I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Tilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, Bert, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, Gary, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, frequent guest and veteran journalist Albert Lanier reports from Hawaii to discuss the Maui fires. What led to them? And who, if anyone, is at fault for the over 100 dead and 800 unaccounted for? Note, if you hear us say 1,000 unaccounted for in this show, that's because it was recorded before the numbers were updated. In any case, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, there's a few moments where I believe Albert's audio may cut a little bit. Uh, usually I would edit that more, but because this is such a time-sensitive episode, I did the lightest editing possible. Still, I find this episode eminently listenable. There may just be one or two spots where uh, Albert's audio gets a little funky here and there, and that may have been a problem on my end, uh, not necessarily his. In any case, I hope you'll find this conversation about the Maui fires enlightening. And with that being said, let's get to it with Albert Lanier. Welcome back to Parallax Views, a guest that I haven't had on the show in uh, quite some time, but he was sort of a regular for a while there, and hopefully we can make that happen again. Albert Lanier, a veteran journalist. He's done freelance work over the years. I believe his work's been covered in places like uh, Ain't It Cool News. He's been featured in Pacific Business News, Hawaii Mag Magazine, uh, Honolulu Weekly, etc. How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, fortunately, I'm um, in terms of what we're going to be discussing. I'm on the island of Oahu, so uh, I wasn't on Maui. 
So I um, should have said that's what that's why you got in touch with me, wanted to come back on the show, and I wanted to have you because you're mm-hmm. in Hawaii and the Mali fires just happened. So we're going to be discussing that throughout the course of this conversation. But I'm glad to know you're okay. I'm fine. I had one or two people kind of reach out to me on um, YouTube, and um, so I did an update on my YouTube. Um, it's gone now, but I did an update where I said, yeah, you know, I'm okay. I'm on another island. I'm fine. Uh, but help the people there on Maui. So that was my suggestion. That was my suggestion. So can you talk a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Can you talk a little bit about the fires and what your take is on this really horrible and tragic disaster? Well, let me just start from when I found out about it. Um, it was when I found out about it, it was Wednesday. Um, I believe it was the 9th of August. And, and I had gotten up in the morning, was going to get my coffee. And I happened to see that uh, TV was on and I happened to see local news was on. And there was a Chiron. Uh, for those who don't know what Chiron is titled, that said something along the line of, for this TV station, something, the Chiron said something along the line of, Lahaina is destroyed by fire. And I looked at that and I went, that can't be true. That something's, that, you know, I was skeptical at first. And then as kind of news trickled in and I found out details, it soon became apparent that that apparently was to some extent largely the case, that the majority of the town of Lahaina, which had a population of, I guess, anywhere from eleven to 13,000 people, um, that the town itself was largely consumed by this fire that had broken out. Um, Well, in this case, it was more than a fire. Um, The best way from what I've seen and what I've looked at, what I've examined to describe it is a perfect storm of horrible conditions. You had a hurricane. I think the name of the hurricane was Dora that was passing by the island and I don't think it had hit the islands because we didn't get it here on Oahu. But what happened was you got sort of the, I call it, I'm not a meteorologist, so I'm just explaining this from a layman's term. I would call it the spill-off effect, which was high winds that were, I've heard, at least 60 miles per hour, probably higher. So anywhere from 60 to 80 miles per hour. So what happens is that on Maui, you have these winds, 60 to 80 miles per hour. You also have initially a brush fire. And what you also, that had been contained early on. And what happened was you also had fires that really broke out. So it was more than one fire. So you had the fire that consumed Lahaina. You also had fires in the communities of Kula and Olinda. So you've had at least a couple of fires, or like two or three fires at least. So it was not just one fire that impacted Lahaina. You had a couple of other fires elsewhere. 
Um, so you had these fires. Um, they, I guess you could call them wildfires eventually, but I think they were initially brush fires. So you had these fires. They had broken out. Now, in and of themselves, if you had fires that occurred and the conditions were as they normally are in Hawaii, sunny trade winds, which is what we get. That's why it's never too humid or too hot in Hawaii, because we get trade winds that kind of balance that out. If we had the conditions where we didn't have these high winds that occur, these storm winds, these fires probably could have been contained, as I think they normally were. They would get some fires on Maui, from what I understand, from time to time but nothing of this magnitude. Um, and so you had the storm winds from Hurricane Dora, 60 to 80 miles per hour. You had these fires. And then what you also had on top of that were apparently electrical failures, failures within the grid, parts of the grid possibly going down. Um, and this apparently occurred or started to occur around after 10 p.m. on Monday, August 7th. From what, what I've been able to put together in terms of timeline, in terms of, you know, you know, the best timeline I can assemble or what I've been able to put together in terms of accounts. Um, there, there clearly were failures with either down power lines or explosions, perhaps. There was, in fact, after 10 p.m. on Monday, August 7th, there was a video that picked up a flash that occurred that apparently created a fire. So when you combine these 60 to 80 mile per hour winds, the fires, that occurred in more than one in, in different communities, but obviously fires and these down, either down poles or power lines or impacts to the electrical grid. What I think the technical term would be is a fault, right? When something goes wrong <clears throat> and these faults, and they can come for various reasons, power lines may, you know, the line, you know, wires may cross or maybe a failure in transformer or something like that. When you combine all of those elements together, you get this nasty, vicious, horrendous, tragic concoction that occurred on now. And so I would want to. It's a perfect storm in a way, you know, it just influences. Yes, that's precisely the term I use, because that's from my looking at various accounts and looking at survivor accounts uh, inter and survivor interviews and all and um, other kinds of segments, news reports and so forth. That's the best thing that I've come up with is a perfect storm. It's a perfect, tragic storm. So I look at it from all of those conditions. I don't, I think if you simply had fires, they would have been contained because 
this state has never had the kind of problems with wildfire that you see in a place like California. You just don't, I mean, you look at what, for example, impacted the town of Paradise, California, which I believe was also burnt down to an extent. Um, and I, at that point was the largest tragedy in regards to wildfire, surpassed by Maui um, and surpassed by Lahaina specifically. Uh, but if you look at what's occurred in regards to that, California wildfires were one thing because in California, as somebody who's been a California resident, I lived in LA uh, twice. Um, although I didn't personally see the wildfires myself, I knew of them as somebody who lived there. That's always a danger in California. So you always have to deal with wildfires. Whereas the difference with Hawaii is I, that's never been a factor. Again, they, they had a degree of fires on the island of Maui. And, but nothing like this and nothing like this in state. So when you look at the course of this tragedy, you have to look at it from a, a confluence of conditions that came together to create this combustible, horrible disaster. So it's not just one element. It's, it's I would say, three elements. The best that I can put together here. Um, and I've never seen anything like it in the state. Um, from my perspective, uh, from my perspective, the best way I can describe finding out about this fire is as if somebody had thrown a couple buckets of cold water in my face. It was a kind of immediate jolting. It sounds like it came as a shock. Sober. I, it was a surprise to me. I've never seen anything like this in the state. Again, what's important to notice this, generally as somebody who has been born and raised in the state, what we deal with generally as threats to the state in terms of natural disasters or disasters are hurricanes, storms, and Hawaii has also been hit by a tsunami several decades ago. So those are the threats, the, the general threats. Wildfires have never been, to my knowledge, a threat that was that is publicly known and acknowledged and seen as the biggest. It may be an issue. Fires were obviously an issue on the island of Maui because I had read about a fire that kind of the smoke had gotten. This is kind of hazy because I can't recall the exact article. But they had uh, the this fire had kind of the smoke had drifted. And I remember reading about this some time ago. And I, I remember thinking, geez, what would happen if this kind of got out of control? And I guess to some extent, we now know. We now know. Again, I want to stress these are conditions that are a combination of factors. It's a combination of factors. Yeah. So then, uh, do you have any thoughts on 
some of the news stories that have been covered. You know, I was reading the New York Times a day ago. They had an article, uh, Hawaiian Electric was warned of its system's fragility before wildfires. Um, what do you think of some of the, the, I guess, the political talk that has uh, gone into the discourse around the Maui fires? Well, um, it really depends on the kind of news coverage. Um, if we're talking about, unfortunately, there's what you would call the major media and the mainstream, right? And I think what the focus of that has been, has been the, you know, to some extent, the aspect of the warning sirens. Um, so, because in Maui, like any island here in Hawaii, there's a civil defense system, which includes sirens. And those sirens are tested every month and will go off in the event of an emergency. That's what, they're, that's what they're set up, built and set up to do. When it came to Maui and when it came to these, what occurred with the wildfires, those sirens didn't go off. They were not, they were not activated. In fact, the interviews of residents on Maui, those who survived, they stated not only did they not hear sirens, there were no sirens, they also received no warning of the fire. There are, of course, and you probably have seen this, <laughs> you've seen people interviewed who've talked about the fact that they looked out their window and they could see fire and they see the smoke. And a number of them evacuated and left their apartments, their houses, primarily on visual sighting. In other words, they looked out the window, they saw there was fire there. Some of them did that because according to individuals, according to survivors, from the accounts that I've seen, um, what I've heard, there were no officials on the ground in that town telling people you need to head this way or you need to get out that way or you need to leave you need to evacuate again no siren from the civil defense system of those sirens on maui none of them were activated so none of them were activated also apparently there was no representation from officials of all kinds in the streets, telling people, you need to evacuate, you need to go. People took it upon themselves from what I understand and what I've seen and read and, and, and heard, they took it upon themselves in the survivor interviews and accounts, a number of them to leave, to go. Okay. So, so, so real quick, I mean, I've heard there was like a warning given out by the National Weather Service in Honolulu, like a um, fire weather watch and a red flag warning. But you're saying right. there wasn't like there wasn't like an on the ground. There weren't people directing officials, directing people, hey, you need nope. to get out of here. Yeah, absolutely not. According Which is to the, the difference. Yeah, yeah. In Lahaina, the residents of Lahaina, the survivors, there was nothing, nothing. And again, you know, 
it, you know, here's, here's, I put together, you know, I've, I've looked at again, accounts and I I've seen, I put together what I can from what I've been able to put together in terms of a type, you know, what's been in the news and accounts and timelines, what you had about. So I think it was on the 7th, which is Monday, August 7th and over to, after 10 p.m., you had, as I mentioned, that flash awards, right? That occurred. Um, and it seems that there was a fire, what happened, possibly going. <laughs> By on Tuesday, August 8th, there was a brush fire uh, in Lahaina Luna Road uh, in Lahaina, of course. <laughs> By 9 a.m., that Brush fire was declared um, declared out. It was contained or contained. And, you know, people worked all day. It's fine. What happened, though, was by the afternoon, now 9 a.m., the, the brush fire, Lahaina Luna Road was contained. We start, what happens, though, is you have more fires. Like I said, Kula and Olinda, you also had fires pick up. <clears throat> so by the afternoon, fires are now beginning to rage to such an extent. Um, I want one, um, one element, uh, one time that I've seen noted was around 3.30 p.m. So, okay, let's look at this. So in this timeline, at 9 a.m., so previously, about six or so, you obviously had this brush fire behind a Luna road. By 9 a.m., the all-clear signal's been given. Oh, it's a fine. Fires continue. Then you have fires pick up. Again, when I talk about the conditions, what do I say? There was not just, you just don't have a fire, but you have high winds. So the winds are really serving. And again, I'm not, I, I'm not a meteorologist, nor am I an expert on flammability or anything like that but my i'm just using my term i don't think this is an official term my term the winds were serving as a sort of as far as i can see a sort of aerial accelerant they were accelerating the fires they were you know making the fires you know rage and expand further so by the afternoon I, I've seen the time, 3.30 at least. We're starting to get into 4 o'clock and past. The fires are beginning and moved into line. So it's already moving into line. And by 5 p.m., everybody who's looked at this tragedy knows Front Street now. If you didn't know anything about Lahaina or Maui before, now you know Front Street. Front Street is near the sea, right? Near the ocean. So it begins hitting Front Street. So what happens is that you, if you've seen any video or any coverage of this fire, you'll see cars dotting Front Street. A number of them burnt out. That's because people were in their cars on Front Street trying to get out. They couldn't get out because some of the roads were blocked. They're blocked. 
So it got to an extent that people were coming out of their cars and heading down to the seawall into the harbor and into the sea. So again, when you look at all of these factors, so this fire is contained. You're getting into nighttime. This fire is engulfing Lahaina. This fire is engulfing Lahaina. So by about, you know, I, I think, let me see here. Because the Coast Guard came sometime at night because you had people in the water, people in the sea trying to escape the fire. Because if their cars were in front street, some of those cars blew up. Brian said there were explosions. Um, and you see some of the remains that are shown in news accounts and in B-roll and so forth. And the cars are just clearly, some of them look like they're almost melted. You know, some, some of them are just wrecks. Um, clearly destroyed. So by the time you get, you had some people, some people in boats that came out and tried to help, right? They tried to help in regards to. But by midnight, you see that entire town is just engulfed in flames. It's just, you're seeing the smoke come out. The video that I've seen <coughs> of Lahaina from the sea in news accounts is some of the most haunting stuff that I've ever seen about Hawaii. It's real almost quick, like, go ahead. Real quick in that regard. I mean, you know, it sounds like you said this was sort of a jolt to you. Um, and I, you know, I've read uh, op-eds in the New York times and other places talking about disaster preparedness in <laughs> Hawaii. And I know they have like a really sophisticated uh, tsunami warning system. You know, uh -huh. there was that huge tsunami in, in 1946. So they've developed, you know, tsunami evacuation maps, et cetera, et cetera. But it sounds like the wildfire, it was almost a wild card for Hawaii for this to happen with wildfires. Mm -hmm. Well, again, people are prepared in regards to possible disaster. But the disasters that they're normally prepared for, including myself, having lived, having moved back here in what, 2008, 2009, I was on another island, actually. I was on the island of Molokai working as a newspaper reporter in 2008. And I came back here to Oahu, where I am now, to the, by, to, you know, by, certainly by 2009, and been back since. And normally, what you're prepared for in the state you're prepared for hurricanes, storms, and of course, tsunami. Now, that because that's what's hit the state. When it comes to wildfires, as I mentioned before, somebody's lived in California, that's a phenomenon that people in, in that state are all too familiar with. And there, of course, there are fires on the island of Maui that have existed. But, but not, nothing on this scale before there. No, and I think that's, that's why maybe there was a, I mean, I don't want to make excuses for lack of preparedness, but it sounds like this may have caught, you know, uh, the island off guard. Yeah. I think that the people, clearly the county government was not prepared. 
There's just no other way to say this. The county government in Maui was not prepared at all. They weren't ready. They weren't ready for anything. They allowed people to bring the cars into Front Street. They allowed people, they, did, they weren't able to provide a way to get people out of Lahaina from what I was able to see. Again, sirens did not go off. That is what the survivors have said and individuals who managed to make it out of Lahaina and survive have said. No sirens, no one in the street saying, hey, you need to evacuate. No car with a bullhorn or whatever saying, hey, you need to go. None of that. There was nothing. People had to exercise their logic and common sense and their instinct. And again, see the fire, smell the fire, and leave their apartments and homes because of the fire. They were on their own. I don't know any other way to say it. Every indication that I see is these people were on their own. And that shouldn't be. I'm sorry, I, I can't. I, I, I'm sorry. I, if people want me to say that that's acceptable, no, it's not acceptable. There's no way these individuals, there's no, way, there's no way anyone in that town should have had to look out their window and then leave. Like, you have a civil defense system with a number of sirens. And here's the thing about these, this siren system. And this has been brought out in reporting, but I'll reiterate it again. But I'll reiterate it. Uh, I'll state it here. You have the, the system is known as an all-hazard siren system on what I understand is the website, the state's website. All-hazard siren system. Right? So it's not simply for tsunamis. This was the explanation that was given. And the explanation that was given was an excuse. There's no other way to say this. It's ridiculous. Well, and that gets into the county government and it gets into the, um, the Maui Emergency uh, Management Agency, that island's agency. So that's where you had controversy. That's when you look at what happened here, people are asking questions and going, why didn't the sirens sound? Why weren't people notified? Why weren't they uh, alerted? And what they got out of county government was that they tried to text people, that they tried to contact them electronically. But as I noted before, what did you have? Down power lines, you had electrical problems, and obviously you had power issues. So a system that they could have used, meaning the siren system, didn't go off. But they decided, instead of sounding a siren, to go and try to electronically text people, which isn't unusual, that happens. I've gotten texts on my phone about potential hazards or warnings about potential situations on my phone. It's happened a couple of times. But if there were electrical issues, which there clearly were, because you had live lines, and again, I'm not an expert on electricity, I'm not, you know, Certainly, I'm not an electrician, but one of the one of the controversies among many in this whole situation 
was the fact that the electrical grid was still functioning. The lines were still going. That was, and again, it's contributing. So the high winds, the fires, and live electrical lines, down poles, you know, what I think what they call it, creating that some of these lines created arcs or sparks or something along that line. You know, again, you look at all of these conditions. It's never just one thing, it's several things. But the simplest course of action would have been to sound the alarm from what I can see. And yet that action was not taken. It wasn't taken. Again, no warning. And I was going to say, and now just to really uh, drive home the gravity of this, I mean, there's a confirmed 114 dead right now, uh, as far as I'm seeing from the news reports, and an estimated 1,000 more could still just be unaccounted for. So, I mean, this is like the consequence of all this. Yes, it's a consequence of this. And the best that people in Maui got from their county government, from what I've seen, was the former director, now former director, man called Herman Andaya, when they had a press conference, uh, like a couple days ago or a few days ago. Um, and he was asked by a reporter, I think that the reporter was a CBS news reporter, actually, it wasn't a local press person. It was a CBS news reporter. And this is can be seen, You could people could see this online, they could see it on YouTube. <laughs> um, because that press conference was a little contentious uh, or a bit contentious at least. But when he was asked by this reporter from CBS News, you know, do you have any regrets about not turning on the siren or not activating the sirens? Andaya's response was, I do not. Over a hundred people are dead. And this Over is the emergency um, chief, right? Yes. So he now was, emergency chief. He yeah, resigned. He was, he was the director of the Maui Emergency Management Agency, the, basically the agency that deals with emergency disasters on Maui. So his response was he had no regrets about not sounding the alarms. No regrets when there are over a hundred dead. No regrets when there are over a thousand buildings, maybe even 2,000 buildings, at least a thousand buildings destroyed. No regrets when there is un untold damage to land, still toxic elements because of various pollutants uh, that exist. He has, he meaning Andaya, has no regrets. That's a bold statement for him to make. Right. Not only is it a bold statement, it's a cold statement. I can think of nothing colder to say than, you know what? Untold destruction, a town burnt down, 
dozens of people killed, were they warned? No, I have no, for this guy to say that he had no regret is about as cold, unfeeling, and as disgusting a statement that I've heard a public official say about a disaster. I can't recall, maybe there are officials that have said something along this line, I, I don't recall. That leads this me is, into, well, go on, go on. Uh, the, nothing. There's just no comparison. It's... Well, that that's where I was going to go next, which was um, how would you compare this to other major natural disasters we've lived through, uh, specifically something like Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans? Well, I think it's comparable to Katrina based on what I've heard in terms of the reaction of authorities uh, there. It was I think the agency that was criticized was FEMA. So FEMA was criticized. Uh, and, and their handling of the situation in New Orleans, Louisiana. <laughs> Here in Hawaii, it's clearly county government, which is Maui. Again, you had the director of MEMA, the Maui Emergency Management Agency, make excuses I don't even say that's an excuse, but state bluntly, he had no regrets about sounding a siren. And his excuse was that the siren was intended for tsunamis, that it's intended for tsunamis, um, and that if people, if it had been activated and sounded, people would head mountainside and thus up into the fire. So instead of seaside. So let's challenge that assumption. Okay, let's look at the facts. Based on the patterns of a number of individuals who survived, when we look at what happened, I mentioned before what happened with Front Street cars there, they were, you know, they were cut off because of the fire, they couldn't go. What a number of individuals who couldn't get out of Lahaina and who couldn't in, indeed get out of Front Street did, they got, some of them got out of their cars and some of them got out of whatever structure or wherever area they were in and headed down into the harbor near the seawall and for a number of them into the sea. A number of people went into the water in order to try to survive. And some of them did because of that. Now, the water had its hazards from what I understand. Again, survivors have stated that there was diesel fuel in the water. So one survivor, I can't, unfortunately, can't recall his name, had stated that he would, I guess, along with his wife, they were moving from the sea to the, to the shore and back, back and forth a number of times because it, that was a risk too. You had diesel fuel, you eat there. And so if we look at the behavior of the survivors or number of people who survived, we can see they didn't go up 
to the fire. They didn't move north. They moved away as much as they could, seawall harbor into the sea. So for this individual to say that people would have moved into the fire is not only utterly ridiculous and illogical, but it strikes me as possibly an outright lie. Because the evidence thus far that we see when there was no siren, when there was no warning, individuals probably instinctively moved toward the seawall, the harbor, and into the sea. A number of them did. So if they could do that without the sirens, don't you think they could have done the same thing or been better off elsewhere? They could have gotten out of Lahaina somehow if there were sirens. There's no logical reason for not sounding sirens on Maui and in Lahaina. There's no logical reason. Trying to rationalize it by saying that the sirens are simply for tsunamis is a flat-out lie, according not only to the website of the state, but also I think there was a video. This was cited in ABC's Newsline, uh, um, uh, uh, Nightline broadcast, when they were broadcasting a fire. They did a snippet from this YouTube video that stated that the siren system, the all-hazard siren system, I should add, could be used not only for a num for events that included wildfires, not just hurricanes, not just storms, not just tsunamis, but wildfires. It not only states that in the website, it stated it in a YouTube video. So looking at this logically from the actions of survivors, and I want people to understand this, that's why I'm stating this. It just demonstrates you the mendacity and the outright cruel rationalization that went on with this tragedy. Look at the actions of the survivors. If they were able rationally, logically, instinctually to move toward the sea to get away from the fire, don't you think they would have been able to do that had they had a siren? Had somebody said, you need to get out of here? Had they given any warning, any warning at all? I mean, I'm sorry if I sound a little like Howard Beale, but from from network, I don't want to be any. I don't want another nothing like Howard Beale, but I mean, it should be making people mad as hell and not wanting right. to take it anymore. You know? That's that's right. And I mean, even, even I mean, what's crazy is like you can look at the number of, of dead, the over 100 dead, a thousand or more unaccounted for. But I mean, even like the, the damages to Lahaina itself. I mean, I'm reading from CBS News, an estimated six billion dollars in damage okay. to the coastal city. Like this is, you know, really bad. Yeah, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. You got to keep in mind, Lahaina is the tourist center of Maui for the most part, because we're talking West Maui there. Behind is the tourist center. That's where people go. That's why a lot of people reached out and probably donated monies and donated supplies and donated equipment and donated a lot of a lot of uh, even their talent for fundraisers or whatever. Probably some fundraisers that did go on. 
they donated it because if they weren't from Maui, because if they had visited Maui and they visited Lahaina, Lahaina is the tourist mecca and the tourist center of Maui. Um, so people probably had very nice memories and, you know, and, and, and probably were fond of the town. Now, personally, I've never visited Lahaina as an adult. I was told recently by relatives that I was there as a kid. Um, I don't have memories of that, but um, I've never been there as an adult. That's the part of Maui that I'm not familiar with as much. What I am familiar with in terms of Maui is Kahului, where airport is, and uh, Wailuku, which I believe is the county government is in Wailuku. So I've been to both those places, and um, I like Maui. So I've been to those places, and I've had a good time in Maui, but I've had my memories and and where I've been is Kahului and Wailuku, um, and not Lahaina. That having been said, it doesn't matter whether I've been to Lahaina or not. What I'm seeing in regards to Lahaina is just uh, utter devastation that I've never seen in the state. I've never seen anything like this in the state. Now, maybe in other states, people have seen the impacts of, I don't know, something precisely like this that occurred but they've seen this happen. I haven't. And again, if you had told me that Lahaina was going to be burnt down by a combination of high winds, fires, and electrical, down electrical power lines, and so forth, I wouldn't have ruled it out, but I would have been a little skeptical. So... I, I have to ask some odds and ends here uh, that aren't really necessarily related to the fire itself, but maybe the reaction to it. Um, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about sort of conspiracy topics before. And one of the things that that's annoying me about this is uh, you're having all these conspiracy theories pop up about what happened, namely these sort of crazy claims that it was direct to energy weapons and it was intentional. Why do you think these like conspiracy theories are happening? Because I think it's, I think it's really bad and it's distracting from the real, you know, uh, culprits, which is like total mismanagement of a disaster. Precisely. Um, Well, this is a pattern that exists in American life. So what happens is, and you've seen it with other events that have happened, you know, they will hop on and immediately what happens is conspiracy theories. You have what I call conspiracy mongering. You have stories that are concocted out of thin air. You just have a number of outright lies and distortions and inaccuracies, you know. And so, you know, Hawaii and specifically Maui has just fallen into that category. They're just going to keep when this happened. Because of the aspects of what occurred here, it became a natural template for conspiracy mongering. It became a fertile ground for rumor mongering and lies and distortion. I mean, really directed particle beam weapons, killer satellites, you know, you know, this is nonsense. This is craziness. This is stupidity, you know, and it and it insults 
the dozens of people that have died. It's an insult to them and their families, and also to the people that are missing. Now, you've got, you know, I don't know how many, at least a thousand, maybe more people that are missing. People still looking for loved ones, they're looking for relatives, they're looking for family members, looking for others, friends maybe, and they're still looking. You know, it, it's, again, it, it's, a, it's a phenomena that merely has come to Hawaii or has merely come to Hawaii and Maui. Um, and, but it's a part of American life. So I'm sure they're going to be doing the same thing depending on what happens to LA. Now, Los Angeles, Southern California, they've got a tropical storm that's heading there, which is strange to me because I, like I said, I lived in LA twice, never had to deal with a hurricane or a tropical storm in my life. I dealt with them in Hawaii. So the disparate aspect, wildfire in Hawaii destroying a town, which is normally what you would see in California, whereas in California, you have a hurricane that's now a tropical storm headed, that's going to hit it. Again, I I couldn't predict that. Yeah. I, the reason I brought up the conspiracy angle was that uh, I, know, I know you and I aren't like against talking about something like uh, you know, Danny Casalero or the octopus conspiracy. Right. But, you know, it, it kind of does a disservice when people treat everything as a conspiracy. I don't think either of us believe right. that conspiracies don't happen. You know, I think some people right. go so far in the other direction of conspiracies have never happened in the history of America. That's BS. But then there's this other tendency, and I think it is correct to call it conspiracy mongering, where everyone wants to explain everything through some type of right. grand conspiracy narrative. Right. Their prism, their point of view is that everything is a conspiracy. Everything is a plot. Everything is that that occurs is predestined, preordained and preplanned. And so when you have that point of view, is it going to be a surprise to say what occurred in Maui had to do with some plan that was hatched? by forces there and elsewhere to destroy the town for re for certain reasons. No, it's not a surprise. But again, like I said, if I, if I had to predict of a disaster coming to um, a part of the state that would impact the state, the way, the way this has, I would not have picked I would not have said they would come to Maui. I would not have said, oh, Maui will get this. Now, the islands, often it's the outer islands. I'm speaking from an Oahu point of view because I'm here. But what we call the outer islands, the other islands, they often get the brunt of storms and hurricanes. So it's the islands like Kauai, which got severely damaged by a hurricane a number of years ago. Um, or the big islands. They often get the brunt of storms or hurricane. In this case, Maui got the brunt of storm winds, fires, and down electrical lines. And so, um, again, but but it created a disaster I've never seen. I've never seen anything. Again, I think I don't think people here 
let's be brutally honest. People here weren't given the chance to survive. Those who survived did it on by using their intelligence and their instinct and their common sense to survive. Um, well, they were just, that, I mean, really, they were just thrown into chaos and it was a crapshoot right. of, you know, yeah. luck, skill, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, it's it right shouldn't here. have been this chaotic. Right. I mean, and that's that's the problem. The problem is that you have, I look at the conditions here and I go, how you can't justify the inaction of the county government because it costs lives. It costs lives. I don't know any other way to say it. Again, you're dealing with, when you deal with this guy, Herman Andaya, who is the director of MEMA, this is a guy that I found had absolutely no formal emergency management experience. This is a guy who had a bachelor, I think he had a bachelor and master's degree in political science. He had a law degree. After he clerked, he was hired to work in county government. So he ended up working in fact, if you look at the press conference, he states when he was asked by the CBS News Department, I think his name is Jonathan Gigliotti, when he's asked about his credentials <coughs> and said, you know, you were questioned about whether you're qualified or not, his response to that was that he had experience. He had served as the deputy of the Department of um, Housing. And, and he also was chief of staff of the former mayor, Alan Arakawa. So he was doing that for several years, up until 2017, where he was named the acting and then, I think, permanent um, director of the Maui Emergency Management Agency. And on top of that, when this was occurring, if we look at the timeline from about, if we look at the flash that occurred in the woods, um, but after 10 p.m. on on Monday, um, let me see, Monday, uh, August 7th, if, I, if that's about right, yeah, Monday, August 7th. If we look at from about Monday, August 7th, fires start beginning and raging, start raging on Tuesday, August 8th. This guy was not even in Maui. He was on the island of Oahu at a conference sponsor, at a conference in Waikiki. So how involved he was in the decision in, in terms of, you know, obviously he had to, to uh, give the say so. And what was interesting that I found <coughs> was that what I also found was that since this occurred, on Maui, obviously, and an impact of Lahaina, the Maui Emergency Management Agency had much more of a role than, say, the state emergency management, because a lot of a number of decisions had devolved down. For several years ago, uh, a change was made in the law, um, and I guess in policy, to allow the counties to have more say, I guess, decision-making ability in regards to uh, 
what they could do as management agencies, um, emergency management agencies. And so that's why his Adaya's role is crucial because he was the director of the agency. And I guess he would be the one to give the okay as to whether the sirens would go off or not. And this guy was at a conference on the island of Oahu in Waikiki, you know, hotel in Waikiki. Um, I believe that week. No, no, I believe that week. He was there that week. You cut out so there. You said, about, I believe that. What was that? I, I know actually that he was at this conference. It was reported he was at this conference. So, so that week. We're talking Monday, August 7th, Tuesday, August 8th. And I found out about the fire myself Wednesday, August 9th. He was he was found. He was at this conference on Oahu. He wasn't on Maui. So again, you you look at you look at elements of this. Again, this is a man who had degrees in political science, he had a law degree, no experience in emergency management. And yet he's gonna go on a press conference and say he's qualified. Working for county government as a chief of staff and formerly in, in a housing department does not make you qualified to run an emergency management agency. I was gonna say, it sounds like he may be a case of, uh, you know, I guess maybe he knew the right people and he was able to get a position oh, yeah. and yeah. Even if he well, wasn't qualified, well, it's it's that one right. of those like it's who you know rather than what you know. Unfortunately, in this well, he's sort chief of, of staff of the mayor, he was chief of staff of the mayor. I think that qualifies as, as who you know. Yeah, I would say that. Before we start wrapping up, um, I want to talk about the question of how this should be dealt with at the national level, how Biden's dealing with it. Do you have any mm -hmm. take on that, um, how FEMA's responding to it? Because what, what's really scary about this in a lot of ways, and I don't think a lot of people are, are necessarily honing in on this, we're not mm -hmm. even in the peak of hurricane season yet. That comes mm -hmm. in September. You know, there's going to be more disasters. And, you know, right. I know that FEMA has already said they're worried that their funding is going to be deplete it over the next few weeks, and they're worried about hurricanes coming in September. So it sounds like we have a lot to worry about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, well, like I said, you already have that tropical storm. It, I think it's been downgraded, the tropical storm, last I heard. A hurricane tropical storm turned into a tropical storm hitting Southern California. That's unusual. I think there are wildfires in Washington State you certainly have wildfires in another country, Canada, that are ongoing. I think people have been evacuated from that. Now that's another country, but so it's interesting. I'm looking at what's happening and I can only hope that the responses of the emergency management agencies and the, and, and the county and, and state authorities and those are gonna be much better. I assume they will be better in California. And I think in Washington state, um, I think that's a good point that you're, we're still in hurricane season. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Just like I, I couldn't have predicted, or I, I never even thought of anything like this happening in Maui. 
I can't really, I, I certainly wouldn't have said that there's going to be a tropical storm or possible hurricane heading toward Southern California. So at this point, it's hard. It's hard to say what might happen or what could happen. As for Biden, um, I think he's received a, a degree of criticism. Um, I, I know that he was asked once um, if he had anything to say about what occurred in Maui, and he replied, no comment. I don't think that was wise. That Then again, he did authorize emergency relief in a matter of hours. So he did put that through in a matter of hours. So, you know, again, I try to use things from a contextual basis. Um, he scheduled a visit. I believe Biden scheduled a visit. This is Sunday when I'm I'm recording this, but I think he scheduled a visit tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, at least this week. Scheduled a visit Maui this week. Um, in regards to response of people here, there are all kinds of things I could talk about um, in regards to Maui. It's still very early on because the fires occurred last week. Um, not last week, but the week before. So there's still a lot of work to be done. You know, there are people that need to be found there are remains that need to be identified. There's going to be cleanup that has to occur. This is a process that's probably going to take quite a while. I can't predict how long. Um, so when it comes to other disasters, hard to say. Hard to say. Again, I couldn't have, I couldn't have predicted that this would happen to Mount. So it sounds like hard to say what happened. It sounds like what you're saying. I it, it sounds like you're saying the local response here is the worst thing about this, and not not as much the federal response, right? Yeah, because the federal FEMA didn't make the decision to not put the sirens on. FEMA comes in normally when something happens, right? The, the job when it comes to emergency management response is at the state and local level. So they're the ones that have to have their house in order. And again, what you have in Hawaii is a civil defense system. They test the sirens every month. I hear them every month because I'm in Oahu. I hear them every month. So it's not like the sirens don't get a workout, that there isn't testing, that they don't work. Although I've heard a little about maybe some sirens didn't work. Uh, look, it's not as if, I mean, I've heard in some parts of the country that sirens don't work. And they may not get tested that well. In Hawaii, they test the sirens every month, the beginning of the month. So it, you hear it. The question, again, you have to look at, I can only call it failure on the part of county government and local government in the in Maui. You had an emergency management director who was at a conference on the island of, of Oahu and who had made the decision at some point to not put the sirens on. 
And not only that, he stated that, that he defended that decision and said he had no regrets about it. Okay, you could argue maybe that's not the best language, but it isn't simply the language. It's the thought behind the language. The thought behind the language is, I mean, when you look at this guy, it's clear he wasn't qualified. It's clear. I mean, he almost had, he, he approached it as if he was reading a textbook. The way, he, the way he talked about it was like he was reading a textbook. Like he's just reading from something. So I, at this point, there's really, there really can be no ambiguity here. There can really be no defense, as I see it, as I see it. You know, again, the sirens had to have been activated. There's just no doubt in my mind. Again, I look at the actions of the people who survived. You mean to tell me those people who survived wouldn't have been able to find some other way out of Lahaina or wouldn't have given it that other people who died wouldn't have been given a chance? People died in their apartments. People died in their homes. People died in their cars. They weren't given a chance. And they weren't given a chance because the county government and the authorities there never gave them that chance. When there's a disaster situation, you rely on the ostensibly or hopefully trained officials to let you know what you can do outside of your common sense and intelligence and logic. The people there had were left to fend for themselves. And of course, there are complaints about afterward. There really wasn't a lot in regards to help from whether it was the state or county governments. Also, there are complaints about that. You know, people talk about volunteers. That's not unusual to me. Like when I see people when I saw the, the images and the reports on people getting ships and bringing supplies, having these human chains where they are, you know, passing, you know, food or propane or whatever it was that they're passing, that's not unusual to me. I'm sure that goes on with every disaster, but I know that that will go and that will happen in Hawaii. That will go on. That was perfectly rational to me. But you don't leave it up to individuals to just go and volunteer and take their time and effort to charter a boat or bring their boat or buy supplies or bring supplies. You don't just leave it to them. You have the civil and local state authorities and what have you help. And that's been relatively, at least from the survivor standpoint, slow. I know they recently had like a, a fair where, you know, people were allowed to, you know, learn, you know, how they could apply for, if they didn't know, it was like FEMA or help from FEMA or other agencies. And that's fine. But again, what, I'm, what it's demonstrating to me is that people were left on their own when they shouldn't have been. Again, I, I can't, I can't get over, again, I mean, I, it's funny. I've been on talk shows. I've been interviewed on talk shows. I've lived here since, back here since, I don't know, 2009 at least, uh, definitively. 
um, I've been, and in the time that I've been interviewed on talk shows and programs, I've never been, I don't talk about Hawaii. I live here, but I don't talk about the state. And that's because I have other issues and other um, uh, topics that people want me to talk about. Um, this is the first time I've talked about Hawaii that I can think of, that I've been interviewed about Hawaii. Um, and it's unfortunate that I have to be interviewed in Hawaii when a disaster happens. That's the thing I don't like. Um, that's a sad thing. And this is typical of media anyway. They only care about Hawaii, the major media. They only care about Hawaii when a disaster happens. Outside of that, they don't care. We don't get any coverage for anything else, for the most part. Only when something bad happens to the state, all of a sudden they'll send the crews. So you've got a number of stations from across the globe in Maui, some part of Maui, doing stand-up reports, doing live shots, doing all kinds of uh, do, shooting B-roll and so forth. If this hadn't happened, do you think they'd be here? They wouldn't be in Maui. So that's what happens, unfortunately, with media. And again, I don't... From my perspective and from what I can see, I think there's really no excuse. And I don't think any excuses should be put up with as to what happened on that island. It's ridiculous. I don't know any other way to say it. Well, there are other ways to say it, but I'll just say that it was ridiculous. Um, you know, yes, the management director, um, the MENA director resigned. But that's that's not going to be enough. Too many people have died. Too much property has been, uh, too many structures have been destroyed. Too much property or too many properties have been impacted. You know, the, there has to be more than just a lone director of a of a emergency agency resigning. You know, this is this is failure. Failure. In closing, uh, what do you hope listeners get out of this conversation? Uh, you know, especially my listeners that aren't from Hawaii. You know, what 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 do you really want them to take from this? Uh, for one thing, disregard the conspiracy theories, the Looney, the Looney Tunes stories, the nutcases that are out here. I mean, you've had a couple people come here that are, quote unquote, independent journalists um, on Maui that are uh, spinning yarns about this place. The first thing I would say is, you know, there are all these stories that are not, you know, you have all these sites, right wing sites, um, other type, other types of sites, and they're doing what they normally do. Something happens. They just fill the vacuum by spouting, by being conspiracy mongering and by being rumor mongering and just invent stuff out of the clear blue sky. And so I would say disregard that and treat that skeptically because you have a lot of that that's going on right now. 
I think the second thing that I would probably tell people is if you haven't already, donate. Help out the people in Maui. That's what I would say. Um, help them out. Um, I'm sure I, right off the bat, I don't have a list of charities that people will go to, but I'm sure they can find it out. Um, so that's the second thing that I would recommend they get out of this, right? Maybe to help the people there on Maui. I think the third thing that I would say is that, again, I'm somebody who hasn't talked about Hawaii in terms of interviews. Um, actually, there is one thing I haven't talked about. I should say this rightly. Um, so, you know, just to interrupt that train of thought. The issue of water is one, and water rights, is something that really hasn't been talked about that much. Maybe locally it has in terms of TV stations, but not nationally. Now, I understand that there are reporters who are questioning Herman and Daya and the, the management agency had, the former now, and his management or lack of management and his decision not to put off, activate the alarms. But what isn't being reported as much is the issue of water and water rights. As somebody who was a reporter for a newspaper on the island of Molokai a number of years ago, I was kind of introduced the importance of water in regards to Hawaii, uh, parts of Hawaii or parts of other islands in Hawaii and the politics of water. And in Maui, water has been a very contentious issue because corporate entities like West Maui Land Company and their subsidiaries like to hoard and dominate the water supply and use it for their end, use it for luxury projects, residential developments, which include swimming pools, of course, and, uh, and other amenities. Whereas you have individuals that are farmers growing taro and other types of and, and, and crops, you have other individuals who don't get the kind of water. Who, in fact, they get very little water and have very little access to water in Maui. Um, that's, that's a story that really hasn't made the national press as much and national stories because they focused more on the town being destroyed, the basics, the town being destroyed, and of course the alarm system, the lack of warning and all that. What I haven't seen is the whole water issue here. Um, because there was a state, uh, the, the Department of Land and Natural Resources, there was a state official who was approached by West Maui Land to use water during the fire. And he said he would have to check with the farmers. And again, the way that some people online have reported this, like someone like a, uh, I think his name is Jimmy Dore, um, who's on YouTube. They're not getting the content stuff. They're just going and kind of going after this official at DLNR. But you have to understand that the firefighters were able to use water to help kind of put out the fires. But you also have to understand the water issue on the island of Maui. You have to understand water access and water rights. There was an article that came out in The Guardian that was written by an attorney 
uh, Native Hawaiian attorney and uh, activist Naomi Klein that dealt with water issues here. I'd recommend that to people. Um, again, the water issue really and water access isn't being talked about nationally. It's an issue that isn't, but it's very important when you deal with the water politics because <laughs> residents in Maui and other parts of Maui, they're not always getting that access to water that corporations and companies like West Maui Land and their subsidiaries are able to get. In fact, the governor himself issued an emergency proclamation in regards to water because uh, I believe there was an, um, a decision that was made in 2022 that created that, you know, where permitting was involved. And so permits had to, you know, they finally sort of made it a kind of managed, kind of managed system, I believe in Maui. So again, I would recommend the article by Naomi Klein um, uh, that was co-written with Naomi Klein and a native Hawaiian attorney for The Guardian, the British Museum of The Guardian, who's an opinion piece. I'd recommend that. But an understanding of the water issues on the island of Maui. So I wanted to get that put out there because you're not seeing that uh, talked about nationally. And Locally, by the way, that, that Guardian article was entitled, um, Why Was There No Water to Fight the Fire in Maui? Uh, two days ago, it was published. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just for my uh, listeners, if they want to look it up. Right. And so, again, that's something that, again, the local TV stations, I mean, one or two stations, have looked at the issue. But it's not being looked at nationally. They're going after the sirens, warning, destruction to Lahaina. So, and that's one of the things I would say what happens with any disaster, with anything that hits a town, is you, there are always elements and parts of the story that doesn't get, don't get reported on, that don't get talked about, they don't get discussed as much. Um, and so there's always, people talk about the story behind the story. Well, I would say, I would say the stories around the story, the stories that shoot off from the story or attach to the story. That's what I would, that's what I would talk about, or that's what I see that, that happens. But I did want to raise that because I hadn't raised that earlier. But um, in regards to, just to wrap up, in terms of what people should take away from this disaster, one, the utter and abysmal failure, lack, the, the lack of warning, and uh, basically the failure to fundamentally help the citizens of Lahaina. They were left on their own. So the, the sirens and the, the, the absolute lack of warning, right? No other warnings were given to them. So number one, that's something to take from that. Number two, I would urge people to help those in Maui. Donate, still donate if you can. Um, and I think the third thing that I would state in regards to the situation on Maui is that it is a... I think what it what it demonstrates is reality versus distortion. 
what you had from the county in terms of the management agency was utter and complete distortion. His justification and rationalization was, oh, I didn't sound the alarm. I didn't give the decision to sound the alarms because they're for tsunamis and people would have gone upwards, mountainside and into the fire. If you look at the actual decisions of a number of people, they did no such thing. They went to the seawall, they went to the harbor, they went to the sea. And it's a number of those people were able to save themselves. So we look at distortion and outright lies versus reality and the truth. <laughs> That's really important to take away from what happened in Maui. That's really important. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to, like I said, I don't want to really talk about what I think the real failures in the state are, because that's a very long conversation. Um, but I would say looking at Herman and Daya and what occurred, you know, in terms of him being, in terms of being named here, uh, I've said this to people I know in Hawaii for years. I've had this conversation. I've never said it publicly. But there is a kind of what I call a crony social network in Hawaii. It's a crony social network. That's what I would call it. Some people would call it an old boy network. I How did you first become aware network. of that crony network? I'm just curious. What What's the skinny on that? Uh, well, I was a reporter and I was a journalist here for a number of years, 22 years as a freelancer, and as a journalist. Uh, but also a number of those years in Hawaii. I also lived in LA and I lived in Seattle. So the way things are run here politically, again, without going into detail, I don't want to go too far into this. Um, you know, in various states you have corruption. Various states you have cronyism. You, get, you know, political systems that work a certain way. Hawaii is no different. And so... I actually wrote an article, so I'll, I'll just give you an idea of some of what I think is wrong, you know, one aspect of what I thought went wrong here, what I'm good. I wrote an article for a website called Civil Beat about a guy who was a former TV news reporter. He became a politician. Um, this guy... Then, after he left politics, went back to TV news. The problem was, this guy was fined by the State Ethics Commission, not once, but twice, for thousands of dollars. But he's being hired to be an on-air news reporter. That didn't strike me as ethical to me. That didn't strike me as ethical. So that was something that I had pointed out. I wrote a piece about it. Um, and I'll, I'll just use that as an instance. I'll use that as an instance. But yeah, you know, without going into detail, without going into a lot of breadth about it or, you know, aspects, I'll just say, yeah, there's what I would call a crony social, what I would call a crony social network in a way. An, an old boys um, network. Old boy network. I call it a crony social network. Go ahead. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. I want to thank you again, Albert Lanier, mm -hmm. for coming on Parallax Views. How can my listeners keep up with your work? 
Um, I'm on Twitter at Critic Inc. Um, I'm on Facebook, of course. I don't do a lot on Facebook. Um, and um, I'm besides that. Uh, yes. Um, and I'm on YouTube. Um, and my YouTube channel is uh, Writer Albert Lanier. I believe the exact one is Writer Albert Lanier 3434. But Writer Albert Lanier is my YouTube channel. But my YouTube channel, you know, it's very simple. It's just, you see the picture here. It's basically me sitting down talking about, you know, uh, I think I have a, like a true, a true crime series, if you could call it that, I'm looking into. And then I have a, um, a movie series called Film For. But Writer Albert Lanier is my YouTube channel, official and, YouTube channel. And thank you again, Albert Lanier, for coming on Parallax Views. Thank you, JG, for having me on Parallax Views. Thank you so much. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Albert Lanier. And of course, our heart is with those affected by the Maui fires. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And with that being said, Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing this like crazy. So, you know, we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.